Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a one-time donation or a monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week, I wanted to speak about personal accountability, boundaries, and emotional regulation. And the quote that came to mind when I thought about these three things is the following. Don't go to the hardware store for milk. Now, you may have heard that in a 12-step meeting, an Al-Anon meeting, maybe an adult child of alcoholics meeting. Maybe your therapist said that. Or maybe you saw me talk about it on social media one time and thought, what is she talking about? Why would someone go to the hardware store for milk? That's not even that deep. Doesn't even make sense. But that's what we're actually talking about today. We're talking about expecting things, demanding things, or seeking things from people, places, and things that can't offer them to us. And we're going to explore why we do it what is the benefit of that? And what can we do instead? I'd like to talk about what this actually looks like in our real lives and maybe see if you can relate in your own way. Because when I say that by doing this, we are seeking resources, reactivity, or emotional responses from people, places, or things that are either inappropriate Maybe they don't have what we're looking for, or they have explicitly told us that they are unwilling to share these things with us. It can almost seem vague. So I always love to walk through examples and offer something that you may resonate with. This can look like maybe seeking validation from a very dismissive, negligent, avoidant family member. And that can be something like going to a parent or a sibling or another family member and seeking emotional support when you are feeling needy or wounded or hurting or anxious or confused and feeling abandoned or disappointed that they are not able to show up for you emotionally. This can look like seeking advice from people who have never been where you want to go. Maybe it's 
almost demanding feedback or wisdom or action from a partner who is a little overwhelmed by your asks and you become frustrated in their inability to help or save you or guide you in a way that you almost fantasize that they can. Maybe it's also seeking emotional support from a partner with whom you only have a physical relationship, almost characterizing relationship as something it's not. So you could be very physical with someone, but they've set a boundary that they do not want a partnership. They have nothing emotional to offer and you keep returning to them seeking this. This is a version of us demanding more from people than they are willing to give and crossing boundaries or making assumptions or forcing relationships to be more than they are or more than people are capable of offering. This can also look like demanding, wishing for, hoping, expecting an apology or an amends from someone who has harmed us. And maybe we have come to the awareness that we are deserving of an apology and that we do need an amends and that we want to move into forgiveness and the other person just simply is not ready to show up in that way. They cannot take responsibility. They are unwilling to have the conversation and we are going to them seeking something that they are incapable of giving us. Now, maybe one of the examples that I offered really does remind you of something in your own life. And if so, I think that that's wonderful because this is a great place to begin. Just really looking at who we are, how we show up, how we process things, and are we reacting in a way that is counterintuitive to what would be best for our physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health? Are we actually doing more harm than good by placing ourselves in these positions of reactivity, of demand, of expectation versus neutrality? And how challenging is that in a world where we are told that our reactivity is a superpower? That if we lash out at someone else, if we demand something else, if we ask for it, we will certainly get it. And then imagine our surprise when we do those things and people look at us and shake their heads and say, no way, I don't have it. I'm not giving it to you. What are you talking about? And we find ourselves living in that space of deprivation, loss, abandonment, shame, wounding, or on the other end of the spectrum, the resentments, the anger, the justified resentments and anger, the things that we can nurse and they can grow and we never get rid of. The reason that I wanted to talk about this is that it's actually pretty common. And we can do this in big ways in our life. We can do this in little ways. But at the end of the day, it can be very harmful and self-defeating. And we can get into this pattern and this habit of putting ourselves in these emotionally harmful positions where we are also harming others. And I think that that's something that doesn't really get spoken about. If I am forcing someone to have an emotional experience that they have explicitly or maybe not so explicitly said or indicated that they don't want, I am actually causing harm. I am forcing someone into a position that they do not want to be in, that perhaps they are unprepared to be in or are unwilling to be in. 
And I'm doing this as a way of getting out of self and kind of messing with someone else and getting into their business and how they should be reacting and how they should be treating me and how they should be thinking. And I always like to say on this podcast, when we're talking about these topics, we're not talking about the extreme situations where we are being abused or traumatized. That is not what I'm talking about. Obviously, in those situations, someone is crossing a line and harming us. And I'm not saying, well, you should have expected that. They didn't know better. No, I'm talking about situations like I mentioned in the beginning, when I go to someone who just simply is incapable of showing up emotionally in the way that I feel like I need. And why am I doing that? And yes, of course, we all do that the first time. Maybe we do it a second time. But if I am constantly living in this framework of not getting what I want from other people and living in judgment and hypervigilance of how others are failing me or not showing up, yet I keep going back to them, that's something that I can take a look at. Because in these situations, I am definitely playing a part. And I can't control what other people do or think or feel. But I can take responsibility for myself. Am I repeating patterns in my life that are emotionally harmful or depleting or self-defeating? And at the same time, they are incredibly familiar to me. Are we recreating what we have experienced in the past? And through that process of recreation, whether it's conscious or unconscious, are we attempting to validate what we went through, how we felt, how we thought, how we acted when others failed us or mistreated us or rejected us or didn't respond in the exact way that we wanted? A term I use very often on this podcast is secondary gain. And the secondary gain is not the obvious reason that I'm doing something. I may say, I look at you and I think you drink too much. So I'm going to keep telling you to stop drinking, even though you have made no attempt to do so. So what is the secondary gain of that? You know, initially it's, I'm altruistic. I love you. I want to take care of you. I want to help you. And perhaps the secondary gain is that, I don't want to look at my own behaviors. I don't want to look at how I am not showing up in my life. I don't want to look at the fact that I am turning to someone who has shown me that they don't want to stop doing something and I'm attempting to control them, even if my intentions are good. And I think that that's a very important point in this discussion. Very often, our intentions are good. We want to make the best of a situation. We want to help others. We want them to live their best lives or improve or get better or any of those things. Or we want emotional reassurance or validation from the people that we interact with. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens when others are saying no and we are not listening to the no, even if our intentions are good? It raises some really important questions and perhaps a secondary gain of constantly being disappointed by another person or a situation. 
is that we get to nurse those hurt feelings. We get that self-fulfilling prophecy. We get a way to get out of self and either get high or crash on another person's response or lack thereof. And that's very intoxicating to get out of self, to point a finger at someone else and say, look what you're doing. Look what you're doing to me. Look what you're not giving me. Instead of maybe taking a look at ourselves and checking in with our own impulse or our own actions and saying, what am I not listening to? How am I not honoring this situation or the boundary this other person has set? In what way am I forcing them to turn into a character or play a role that they never said they wanted to play or even had the ability or the patience or the emotional intelligence to play? And what if we are responding to other people this way because we feel very stuck in our role? in our story, in that tape that plays over and over again in our heads that says, this is all you are worth, this is all you deserve, this is all you are capable of. And so our reaction to that is to try to trap other people into roles. And I truly believe that there's a way out of that because there is such an expansive emotional experience available to us in all of our relationships. And they can go so far beyond that, that sting of the justified anger and resentments. I mean, those are powerful. They can distort perception. They can grow. They can really change how we move through the world and how we interpret the things that happen to us and how we show up and how we've behaved and how we've responded. Maybe that justified anger and those resentments are how we combat our stories of abandonment or our fears of deprivation. And we feel like that's the only tool we have. And so the reason I'm talking about this today is because at some point we will all engage in this behavior. You know, if you're engaging in it, I'm not saying you're bad. I definitely do it myself. We're human. We all do these things. And so it's not about being perfect and never messing up. It's about having the willingness to look at what we are doing that is not serving us, is not serving our relationships or our community, and saying, am I willing to change? What do I need to do? Even if it's scary, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's the unknown, can I take a contrary action? And you might think, well, how is that scary? (laughs) How is that difficult? But If our focus has been on someone else, our judgment has been on someone else, and if we are constantly in a state of hypervigilance about how others are failing us or not giving us what we want or need, it can be really scary to turn that gaze to ourselves, to look in the mirror, because We've been gunning for everyone else, so our greatest judgment is probably reserved for ourselves. So how do we engage with gentleness, with humility, with compassion as we're navigating this for other people and for ourselves? And what would it be like if we poured all of that energy we have been pouring into other people and demanding that they show up for us in a specific and rigid way? What would happen if we poured that energy 
into forming a new pattern, into writing a new story, into every single time that tape begins playing in our head, we hit stop and we start a new tape. What if every time we had that familiar ache or that anxiety to return to a place or a relationship that did not serve us, and instead we tried something new or we invested in something else that is already present in our lives? Because sometimes the anxiety, the high of the anxiety, the fear of abandonment can be very intoxicating. And some of the steady, calm, generous things in our life can almost feel boring, as if they're not quite as special as this thing that's out of our reach. And that if I can finally keep going back to that hardware store, one day they'll have milk and then I'll win. And then I will be worthy. Then I will be good. Then I will be seen. I don't know that that game serves us very well. And I don't know that it contributes positively to our relationships with others or our relationship with ourselves. If you listen to this podcast pretty often, you know I am a big believer in asking ourselves questions. And I know that there is this pull towards certainty and this black and white thinking, this very sure-footed way of moving through the world. And sometimes this perspective that I offer of staying curious, continuing to want to learn about who we are and why we do the things we do can almost seem like a position of weakness. And I don't see it that way. I see it as a position of willingness, of saying, I am willing to grow and change. I am willing to take accountability. I am willing to look at myself and saying, how am I contributing to something? And sometimes the answer is that you are not contributing to something. Sometimes things just happen. And so it's not about punishing ourselves with our answers, but being okay no matter what the answer is. So in this case, if we are constantly focused on how others are failing us, what if the question was, how are we failing us? How are we not meeting our needs? How are we pushing people away and attempting to control their actions, their thoughts, their feelings? And what is that doing to our relationships? What if we asked ourselves what our core needs actually were? Instead of saying, oh, this person that I've dated for a month isn't giving me all the emotional needs I want, what if we actually asked ourselves, what do we want? Do we want partnership? Do we want validation? Do we want trust? Do we want intimacy? Because those are the important questions. It's not just about what this other person isn't doing. It's about what we want. Because those things are completely valid. It is very natural to want to turn towards the people around us and seek that emotional support, especially when we're anxious or insecure, or even when we want to celebrate something and we're on a high and we're so proud of ourselves and we want to engage with others. But the issue is when we are not honoring where someone else is, or we are not honoring what they are incapable of then we're just plowing through our relationships and we're not really treating them with sort of the tenderness and the respect 
that we should be treating them with, even if someone doesn't want something from us. It's about how we show up in that respect. I think it's really important to bring awareness to these things by continuing to ask ourselves the questions. But then what do we do when we get to that point of awareness, right? We can be overloaded with awareness. We're too hyper aware of what we think and what we do. But in this situation, if we are aware of what we've been doing, maybe giving ourselves space to grieve. Grieve what we thought we had. Grieve what we thought this other person was going to give us. I think that's offering ourselves a lot of grace instead of punishment. Instead of saying, oh, I'm an idiot for thinking this person was going to love me. Maybe we just say, I need to grieve that because I did want that emotional relationship and I probably won't get it from this person. And if I heal that wound, instead of continually picking at it and agitating it, what can happen next? There's another saying that almost runs parallel to this, don't go to the hardware store for milk. And that saying is, let go or be dragged. And so what happens to us when we move through acceptance and grief and we do finally let go? It's pretty scary because it almost seems as if we'll plummet into nothingness, emotional nothingness. But I think one of the most overlooked aspects of letting go of something or letting go of someone is that you free your hands, your heart, and your mind to receive something new. You are clearing space for something else to come into your life and for you to receive it and meet it where it is and to show up for it instead of being so overwhelmed and distracted by what you aren't getting. I think the transformational medicine in this process is looking at our lives and seeing what is actually there. Who is my most consistent and reliable source of emotional support? Who welcomes me in all my forms, the good, the bad, the anxious, the joyful, the accomplished, the failure? Who is willing to receive all of me? And how have I been nurturing those relationships? How do I show up when someone sees me in my full self and says, I like you the way you are. How am I reacting when they do that? Am I pushing them away? Am I dismissing them? Am I judging them for giving me the exact thing that I say I want, but then not feeling worthy enough to receive it? So I don't think it's real, or I don't think that they're smart, or I don't think that they have a good judgment because they're so willing to offer this to me. A really concrete example, something I've done for years and years and years that I'd love to share here is whenever I have those moments of anxiety where I feel like I'm not getting something from someone else, it's not about grasping for more. I kind of make that switch and I actually reach out to three people in my life who I know love, care for me, show up for me, and I reinvest in those relationships. I plant those seeds, whether it's a text, an email, a phone call, just something to create that connection and say, you know what, I'm going to shift my perspective and shift my energy and show up for what is in my life. And you know what happens? Time after time, <laughs> I am reminded that 
There was nothing outside waiting for me that I didn't already have in my life. And that my job and my calling is to really bring myself back home and to nurture what's there, to grow that and see what comes from it. And all of this may take some time. It may not happen right away. Maybe it's really awkward. And maybe we are not ready to let go of those needs, especially if those needs took root at a a younger stage in our lives, maybe even in childhood, where we yearned for the protection and the connection with a parent. We yearned for the camaraderie of siblings, the understanding of friends, and we just didn't get what we wanted. It can be really hard to let go of that and to mature and evolve into the relationships that we have now, to showing up for ourselves, to showing up for others, and to be able to receive and expand upon what is currently in our lives. Instead of getting distracted by something that's out there and we can't tap into it. Maybe there's some level of divine protection there too, that we don't have to crack codes to get what we want from other people. That overcomplication, it almost serves to validate something like we couldn't figure it out when we were younger, but if we just keep going back to it, keep, you know, trying to get through, maybe we will. And like I said earlier, maybe we'll win. But I don't know about you. I just don't think that's what I want to win in my life. I think anything that is that hard won, that distorted, that difficult, that's almost depleting. So where is the ease and neutrality and flow in our lives and in our relationships? And I encourage you to look at your own relationships, look at the communication, look at the connection, look at those moments where you get that ache, that anxiety, that stomach flip where You're concerned that you're not going to get what you want and you're in a state of fear and loss. When does that happen? When does that not happen? And what does it bring up in you? What does it change in your daily life? How does it affect you? And is that a state where you thrive? Is that a state where you're at your best? Or is it simply a state where you feel aroused and hypervigilant and tense and you are associating that drama, that crisis with feeling alive? What would happen if we associated feeling alive with feeling connected and understood and seen and heard and maybe we were okay if it didn't show up in the exact representation that we demanded? I always think about that, you know? Some of the most profound and important relationships in my life, I would not have picked out of a catalog. They arrived in the form of people, places, and things that if you had asked me, is this what you want? I would have said, probably not. No, I want this other thing. (laughs) Why can't I get that? And so the work there is saying, yes, we all have judgment. We all have desires. We know what we want, but what is best for us? Is that us in a constant state of anxiety? us constantly being self-conscious, constantly worrying? I don't think so. I think it's when we feel calm and we feel grounded and we feel supported because it's in those moments where we can stretch and grow, we can plant seeds, we can deepen our roots, and we can really embrace the capacity that is all around us. And we can expand, we can evolve. That grasping state that I've been talking about in going to the hardware store for milk, 
that is so limiting. It is so rigid. And I always think back to something my friend Dan said, I've said many times in this podcast, he said, if you had been given every single thing that you had ever thought you wanted, you would have sold yourself short by miles. And I want to leave that with you as we close this episode. In what way are you selling yourself short by miles, by looking at this thing you can't or won't get? And what would it be like if you stopped doing that? If you're open to receive, if you're open to being surprised, if you're willing to change, willing to check in with yourself, willing to stop something that's harming you and start doing something that is serving you. Well, until next time, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Take a moment to rate and review this podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider making a monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode.